Imagine you're walking down the road on your way to work. It's a busy day, there's lots of people about, it's rush hour, many people are trying to get where they're going. You're waiting at the traffic lights, waiting for the green light to go. It's quite crowded. You're looking across, waiting for the traffic lights, and you start to feel a little funny and tingling sensation. You're not quite sure what's going on. You take a step to move from the green lights, and next thing you know, the ground is rushing up towards your face, and then nothing. Darkness. You wake up, you're in the middle of the road. You can feel the gravel underneath your hands. You're surrounded by people. Everybody is speaking, it's very loud, someone is on the phone. You feel a wet sensation on your leg and you look down and you've wet yourself. You're feeling embarrassed and stressed and confused. Someone is on the phone to an ambulance. Next thing you know, you're being lifted up. You've been placed into the ambulance and you're on your way to emergency. This is a story of a patient that I saw with a functional seizure. And functional seizures are just one example of functional disorders. Um, other examples could be irritable bowel syndrome, fibromyalgia. Yes, but there are commonalities between the symptoms. So, for example, um, these symptoms are known to be a disorder of the functioning of the body rather than a structural change such as a lesion in the brain or something that can be measured by a uh, blood test or something mm -hmm. like that that is currently used in medicine. Yeah. And in this uh, podcast series, we explore these types of disorders and we're currently in Hamburg where we have a training week in which we learn about um, how to diagnose uh, functional disorders. But who are we actually? So my name's Lena. My name's Abby. My name is Asma. And what do we do? We are uh, early stage researchers within the ETUIT program. And uh, we are exploring different facets of functional disorders, such as diagnoses. And um, as I already said today, we will talk about diagnosis. And um, there has been a podcast episode before uh, where our colleagues uh, gave a general introduction about the ETUIT program wherein we do the research. Do you know someone whose pain just doesn't seem to go away? Do you know someone who's tired all the time? We just don't know why. Well, we know a few too, and we want to find out why and how to make it better. This is Not So Invisible, the podcast about the truth behind functional disorders. So, what are functional disorders? What causes them, and what are the best treatments out there? And what's happening in the body? Why is there so much stigma attached to these conditions, and how can we best tackle them? And why do you need to know more about them? We are scientists new to the field, starting a journey, exploring the subject. As we learn more and more through our research, we want to share what we're learning and share the experiences of people with these disorders. 
We also want to explore the evidence, find out the truth, and erase misconceptions. So join us and let's make functional disorders not so invisible. But yeah, how do we start this uh, podcast today then? Um, and maybe it's uh, a good introduction to talk about the current diagnosis of functional disorders and current uh, yeah, diagnostic criteria. I think it's um, good to start by saying um, that it can be a little bit confusing, both for healthcare professionals and also for patients, because different sectors of the healthcare system, for instance, the somatic sector and the psychiatric uh, sector, as well as the primary care uh, sector, they use quite uh, different diagnostic classification systems so um, they kind of uh, speak a bit of their own language so for instance in the uh, somatic healthcare system it's quite common to use um, functional syndrome names such as for instance fibromyalgia yes but um, the same fibromyalgia patient for example if they presented in a psychiatry specialty um, especially if they had um, additional symptoms like depression or anxiety, they could easily receive a um, diagnostic um, label as a somatic symptom disorder. Um, but again, this is different in, for example, general medicine. Absolutely. So in general medicine, we only focus on the symptom level. Uh, so this would be chronic pain. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, the takeaway message from this is that um, the patient can Uh, receive quite the different diagnostic label depending on which doctor they uh, present themselves to. Yes, definitely. And uh, I think to make it even harder and to make it even more confusing, um, there is these cross-cultural differences as well. And this is very different um, currently also between countries. So for instance, I work in, in Denmark. My project is uh, based in Denmark. And uh, the way it's being done there is actually quite um, advantageous because um, the Danish system tries to kind of bridge um, the classification systems between different medical specialties um, by using an overall diagnosis of functional disorders um, used by uh, yeah, different healthcare professionals in the different disciplines. Uh, and then that can be specified according to um, different symptom clusters um, per patient specifically. Abby, you currently work in Germany. How is it being done here? Yeah, so um, unfortunately, we don't have this new system here yet. Um, here, uh, for example, a patient can present to their general practitioner. And from here, they're referred to um, a specialist. Um, this can be a wide range, either gastrointestinal or cardiology or uh, specific to the German system is that they actually have their own specific psychosomatic discipline in Germany which the patient can be referred to and managed within that system. This is a, a separate um, system and quite specific to Germany. Yeah, very specific. This is not the case in in, the, in Denmark. And uh, Asma, how is it being done in the Netherlands at the moment? In the Netherlands, GPs are kind of gatekeepers. So the patient needs first to go to the GP and then If the symptoms could be managed by the GP, then there is no need for a further referral. But sometimes the GP needs to refer the patient to other specialists. So this is how it works in the Netherlands. Most of the patients stay with the GP. So for this next section, we're going to talk a little bit about the classification criteria for these diagnoses. So 
You take the person that has just ended up in emergency care, for example. They are looked at by a doctor. The first doctor goes, I'm not sure. Well, I'm not sure what's going on. You haven't had some kind of brain lesion or something like that. Multiple tests have been run. So they ask for a consult. Next thing you know, you've got another doctor there. Neurologist. Mm. They're looking at you. They're like, oh, I don't know. Another one comes along. Next thing you know, you've got five doctors around you. They're all suggesting different things. In reality, none of them are quite sure. Different labels. Different different labels. diagnoses. Yep. And this can go on for years down the line. It's not just one occurrence. So patients can have multiple investigations over and over again. And each time you're told, you don't have this. You don't have this. This was one of the reasons why the issues with the classification criteria came up. For example, there was an issue with the criteria at the beginning basically saying that you had to not have a what's called an organic condition, which is like a physical condition, a lesion in the brain, for example. You had to rule that out every time for someone to get a diagnosis of one of these conditions. Okay, very interesting, Abby. But how can we make the diagnosis? How can we be sure? So we know this from many, many years of study. We're really interested in making a positive diagnosis. So this... We're sad. Yes. This means, for example, the patient comes in and there are certain ways we can demonstrate that they are actually experiencing what's called a functional condition. We can show that it's not necessarily a problem with the brain structure. It's actually a problem with the functioning. Say a patient comes in and they have limb weakness, their leg is very, very weak and they can't move it. There are signs and ways where you can demonstrate that although the limb itself, although you can't move it, the voluntary function of trying to move your leg is not there when asked to do so or when you try to do so, but there are ways to demonstrate that actually the nervous system of this leg is still intact. It still works. It just doesn't work for you right now. So Abby, can you give an example? Yes, of course. So you can also try it at home. If you're sitting oh, listening. Oh yes, that's a good mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're sitting down as the patient, your doctor is in front of you or your friend is in front of you and you're asked to put your feet on the ground and then lift one of your legs. You're lifting the leg that is still working. At the same time, the doctor puts the hand on top of your leg and puts pressure down. They puts weight in and you're asked to keep your leg up. They also have their other hand underneath your knee on the other leg, the leg that is weak. You need to work out whether the muscle is tensing underneath your knee. If it's tensing underneath your knee, that shows that that leg has strength. And so this is specific to functional somatic disorder because this is a positive sign. And this is what we're trying to include more in classification criteria right now. Uh, However, for other symptoms, such as, for instance, pain and fatigue, it's actually quite difficult to find um, positive signs. Uh, Nonetheless, and this is something that we um, learned also in this week, by these types of symptoms that they um, which have initially uh, not been found to be uh, attributed to a structural abnormality, if they have persisted, then later on the chance that these symptoms again could be linked to a structural abnormality is quite low as well. As a take um, away message uh, for this section, uh, we would say that there's a movement towards uh, a more well-informed diagnosis uh, based on these positive uh, signs and symptoms. And also um, this can be difficult for certain uh, symptoms, as we've said, like pain and fatigue. 
But if we follow patients um, over a long period of time, then we can be very um, sure of these diagnoses. So now that we talked about the positive diagnosis and how we can diagnose these conditions, um, I think the next question would be how do we then communicate the diagnosis to patients so that they uh, feel like they are being listened to and that also that their suffering is acknowledged because this uh, lack of good communication to the patient, to their families uh, yeah, and their relatives and their friends um, cont might contribute uh, to the distress that they are uh, feeling, for yeah, example. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. Because what is still difficult uh, for health professionals is how to communicate these um, disorders. Uh, it is still challenging. Uh, an effective patient-doctor communication uh, has been shown to have uh, better recovery outcomes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and a better long-term uh, impact yeah yeah, yeah basically yeah. and yeah there are studies about it actually uh, and it has been shown that the levels of patients uh, anxiety decreases immediately if the doctor uh, uses positive language and what mm -hmm. we mean by positive language here is uh, for example instead of saying I can't hear anything abnormal in your heartbeats we can say that your heartbeats are regular and strong And this is better. This effective communication has a positive impact on psychological outcomes. I wonder whether doctors know about this. Unfortunately, um, in different medical curriculum, uh, this communication training is lacking. Um, but there are some uh, projects about it. And they actually add it uh, in, for example, in Uh, Radboud UMC, where I'm uh, working, they added a whole course about uh, how to communicate uh, functional disorders to people newly diagnosed with functional disorders. Oh, that sounds like a good improvement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't want to put you on the spot. Do you have an example? Yeah. Um, well, the models were about uh, how to take control, um, um, uh, teaching about a shared understanding of the problem, how to provide a tangible explanation. And this is for residents in family medicine, so they can apply this in their daily practice later on. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so hopefully in future years we'll have a better communication and a better quality of care. So we have all of this information now. So uh, what does this mean? How do we then um, communicate this diagnosis? So for instance, for the, uh, for the person that we discussed in the beginning of the podcast. So first we need to reassure the patient that they are not alone. Also, uh, the diagnosis uh, is, as you said, Abby, is a positive diagnosis. We mm -hmm. don't come into it because we don't have anything else uh, mm -hmm. to explain the symptoms. Uh, but um, there are uh, validated diagnostic criteria mm -hmm. and uh, this comes uh, after long years of research and after the opinion of experts and so on so um, we have validated criteria and we are sure about the diagnosis and that we understand that this these symptoms may have uh, like an impact for their daily life mm -hmm. this could be for seizure but it is also valid for all functional disorders it's not only for functional seizures We fully understand that this could impact their daily life, mm -hmm. um, but there is a treatment for it yeah. and we will cover the treatment in future podcasts. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, this brings us to the end of our episode. Thanks so much for listening and uh, like and subscribe us for free and stay tuned on our podcast series. And for more information on our program, you can visit itu-itn.eu. Oh, 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 oh